0: I'll ask you, church, to take your Bibles, turn with me for our scripture reading, for our sermon text this morning. We are going to read together Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. We already sang a little bit about this passage in our song, What Child Is This? And now we're going to read together one of the famous Christmas stories, Matthew 2, Verses 1 through 12. I'm going to ask you to please stand with me as we read Holy Scripture. This is God's holy word for us, His people. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? By another way. This is God's holy word for us as people. Let's ask Him to bless our time in this word. Father, we ask now that you would send your Holy Spirit to bless not only the reading, but now especially the preaching of your word. Make its truth open up to us today in a new way. Open our hearts to receive it and our eyes to see it. Show us yourself, Lord Jesus. Reveal to us your glory and let us. Catch the spirit of this passage and take it with us from this place, conformed a little more into your image. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. One thing that I love to do is to go outside on a clear night. This is kind of what Dale was talking about. I've never been to Sullivan County, but we can go sometime. Check it out. I like to go outside on a clear night and look up at the moon and the stars. Now, I am no professional stargazer. I couldn't tell you what any constellation is. I know maybe one, the Big Dipper. (laughs) And I know when the moon looks full and when it looks like a crescent. So I don't know the technical terms. I just like to look. I just like to go out there and watch. Now, for anyone who likes to watch the night sky, this month we are in for a special treat. On December 21st, I was reading an article this week, on December 21st, the planets, Jupiter and Saturn, are going to align in the sky and they will appear to to touch each other. They won't be perfectly aligned, but they're going to appear to touch each other in the sky. And this is called a conjunction. Two planets are going to come so close to each other that they're going to look like one giant star. Now this is an incredibly rare event. Has anybody heard about this? Or seen an article about it? A few of you, yeah. So this is an incredibly rare event. According to this article, the last time Jupiter and Saturn were in conjunction this close to each other was just before dawn on March the 4th, 1226. (laughs) That's the year 1226, not the time. (laughs) So, almost 800 years ago is the last time anything like this was visible in the night sky. Now, some astronomers speculate that perhaps, maybe the Star of David that we read about in our passage, maybe the Star of David that caught the eye of the Magi. Maybe it could have been some unimaginably rare astronomical conjunction. Maybe a triple conjunction between Jupiter and Saturn and Venus. Imagine how bright that would be. And it would be moving across the sky. The ancients, when they looked at the stars, they noticed seven of them tended to move a lot more frequently than the rest. And those were actually planets. And in Greek, the word for planets means wanderer. And because they could see them wandering across the sky, unlike any of the other stars, they said, those seven, those are the wanderers, the planets. So maybe a triple conjunction happened, and that's what the star of David was. We just don't know. Whatever it was in the night sky, shining some 2,000 years ago, those wise men from the east observed it. They saw it rise in the sky all those centuries ago. Now, these wise men in our text are traditionally the Magi. The Magi. And these were the ancient Persian stargazers. These were the astronomers and the astrologists of the ancient world. And whatever the Star of David was, these Magi understood that something extremely rare is happening. Something they never saw before, something they never imagined is taking place in the heavens. And in that ancient world, this could only mean one thing. Some great sign in the heavens means, it's a sign from the gods, that something incredible on earth is taking place or is about to take place. They concluded that an astronomical miracle must be a sign from heaven that something important is about to happen on the earth. In our passage this morning, we read the story of the journey of the Magi to Jerusalem in search of the great king who has just been born. So I want us to look at three things in the text that these magi do with respect to King Jesus and draw some applications for our own lives in this Advent season. The first thing that the magi do in the story is that they go looking. The magi we're looking for the king. Look at verses 1 and 2. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When the Magi arrive in Jerusalem... They only have one question. Where is he? Where is he? Have you seen him? Can you tell me where he is? Oh, you see, we're magi, we, we've traveled from a faraway country outside the Roman Empire, and we were in the east and we saw the star. Surely you've seen it, and we've followed it, and it led us here to Jerusalem. And we know what it means. It means that some great king must have been born. And here we are in Jerusalem, so it must be the king of the Jews. Where's your king? Where is he? Can you take me to him? Can you show us the way and where he is? Now the Magi were not Jews. But they journeyed all this way to find the king of the Jews. And you just have to wonder... What were they expecting to find when they got there? I mean, they see a star and they draw some conclusions. Maybe there were some Jews still who never returned to Israel from the exile. And maybe there were some Jews there in Persia. And they could say, that star, what could that mean? And maybe they suggested what it could mean. And that's where they learned what to look for, the one who's born king of the Jews. But what do you think they were expecting once they traveled all those miles and they arrived? What did they hope to find? They knew he would be a baby. But who is this child they are looking for? What child is this? Who do they think the child is? And what does it mean to be born king of the Jews? And why should Persian wise men care? Let me go through a few passages that tell us who this child is. There's the Old Testament so full of these, but let me just give you a couple. First of all, what does it mean to be king of the Jews? First of all, the king of the Jews is the offspring of Abraham who will bring God's blessings to all families of the earth. God promised Abraham back in Genesis 12, 3, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you, Abraham, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And later in Genesis 17, 6, God tells Abraham, I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations and kings and kings shall come from you. There is one great descendant, Paul says, that this promise refers to. One great king who will come, who will be the singular offspring of Abraham, who will fulfill these promises and will bring God's blessings to every family of the earth, to the farthest corners of creation. This king will take the blessings far and wide, far as the curse is found. He is the offspring of Abraham, the one who is to come. Second, he is the descendant of Judah. Remember, Jacob had 12 sons, and one of them was Judah. And each of those sons becomes the father of the 12 tribes. And from the man Judah... And the tribe, therefore, of Judah, a descendant will come. So Abraham has 12 sons. So which tribe is the king going to come from? Well, it narrows from just Abraham's descendants down to it's going to come from Judah. The descendant of Judah will come who will rule his people and extend his reign over all the earth. This is Genesis 40, uh, chapter 49. Judah, your brothers shall praise you. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons shall bow down before you. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until tribute comes to him, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. This great one will come And he will not just bring God's blessings to the peoples. He will have his hand on the neck of his enemies. And he will receive tribute from the peoples. And the obedience of the peoples. That's the king of the Jews. Third, he is the star of Jacob. The wise men followed a star. And this is a picture. The star of Jacob who will rise who will defeat his enemies with the rod of iron. Numbers 24. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. This is someone who's coming in the future. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. It will crush the forehead of Moab and break down all the sons of Sheph. Edom shall be dispossessed. Seir also His enemies shall be dispossessed. Israel is doing valiantly. And one from Jacob shall exercise dominion and destroy the survivors of cities. This is a conquering king. One who will vanquish Israel's enemies. And will cause them to do valiantly. To rise in triumph and victory. And this echoes the language of Psalm 2. As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. This is the Lord God speaking. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. This is the offspring of Abraham, the descendant of Judah, the star of Jacob, and he is forth the son of David who will bring prosperity to all lands. One of the most glorious psalms in out of all 150 is Psalm 72. Let's listen to some of this language. This is a prayer for the son of David, King Solomon. And this is a prayer that's ultimately fulfilled in Christ. It says, Give the king your justice, O God, and your righteousness to the royal son. May he judge your people with righteousness and your poor with justice. In his days may the righteous flourish and peace abound till the moon be no more. May he have dominion from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. May desert tribes bow down before him and his enemies lick the dust. Amazing. These prayers for this king. And Christ who is to come is the one whose presence will make the hills glad and the trees will wave and applaud His coming. The clouds will rush to shade Him. Heaven and earth will do His bidding. He is the great King who is to come. He is that Son of David whose praise will endure until the very solar system crumbles to cosmic dust. Finally, who is this child? Who is this king of the Jews? He is the offspring of Abraham, the descendant of Judah, the star of Jacob, the son of David. And finally, he is the servant of the Lord who will save the nations by his invincible justice. Listen to Isaiah 42. Behold my servant whom I uphold, My chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not grow faint or be discouraged until he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his law. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. This is the one that the Magi are looking for. This is who they have journeyed so far to see This is the child who is born king of the Jews. This is why the Magi care, because they are the nations. They're from faraway land, and they recognize this king is the one to whom all nations will bow. Let's get started. Start now. Let us go and be the first to bow at his feet this is the one they went around Jerusalem asking, where is he? Where is this one? Have you seen my king? And this is the question that you and I should be asking when we share our faith with others. Have you seen my king? Have you found my Jesus? The difference is we have already found Jesus, or rather he found us, and we want others to be found with us. Jesus isn't lost this morning. But we are. Unbelievers are lost. So let us seek to help others come to know the King of the Jews. The hope of the nations. You go to that lost coworker, that friend, that loved one you've been praying for. And you say, oh, let me tell you. Have you seen my king? Let me tell you who this one is. Can I share him with you? Can I describe him to you? I can't do justice to his majesty. <laughs> I don't have the words to articulate how incredible this king is, my Jesus. Oh, but have you found him? Have you seen him? Can I share him with you? This is that good news of great joy the angels came to share. Have you seen my king? And this also reminds us to be looking forward. To be saying, oh Lord, come back. We want to see our king. We want you to return. We want to be like these magi who got to see you for themselves. We want to see you. We want to be at your feet. Even today. Come, Lord Jesus. That's what Advent's about. Have you seen my king? The first thing the magi do in the passage is looking. Are we looking for Jesus today? They seek out this newborn king, and we seek that king's return. The second thing they do in the story is lauding. Lauding. They rejoice and they worship They rejoice and they worship. Look at verses 9 to the first part of verse 11. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother and they fell down and they worshiped him. You can just imagine the scene. At long last, after all this traveling and all the anticipation and all the excitement, oh, we're finally there. And you know what this is like when you've just been waiting for something to happen. You know when you're a kid and you're on vacation, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Yes, now we're finally there. We finally have that thing we've been looking forward to. The moment has arrived. The day has come. No more waiting. Yes, it's finally happening. You can imagine the scene. They were so excited. They were so overjoyed. They could hardly stand themselves. It says they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And as they walk into the house... There he is. There he is. The king is there with his mother. And as they gaze upon this child, what do they do? Going into the house, they saw the child, and they fell down, and they worshipped him. They fell to the ground, bowing low, in worship. Their exceeding joy. Instantly turned into awe-struck wonder. That put them on their face. And guys that's what worship is. You want a picture of worship? Look at these magi. Look at these wise men. That's what worship is. It's the overflow of joy. That fills you with wonder in the presence of God. Worship is the overflow of joy that fills you with wonder in the presence of God. When they got near to Jesus, they could not stay on their feet. They had to hit the floor. This is what happens in Gethsemane, the end of the Gospel of John, right? The cohort... Roman troops come looking for Jesus. And they say, we're looking for Jesus. And he says, here I am. And they hit the ground. The magi hit the ground at the beginning. The troops will hit the ground at the end. When you get near this Jesus, you cannot stand in his presence. With these magi, we get a picture of what worship is. Their joy overflowed. Now, why should this king be worshipped? Now, did you notice something in this story? This story is not just about one king, is it? All through this story, there's another king, Herod. This is a story about two kings, Jesus and Herod. And did you notice, when the Magi got to Herod, they didn't worship him. And he's on the throne, When they saw Herod, no worship, no joy, no falling, no bowing. They didn't even go looking for Herod. Herod actually went looking for them. Look at verse 7. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. No one worshipped Herod. But they did worship Jesus. So what's the difference? What's so different about this Jesus? Jesus is not just the son of Mary. When they saw the child there with Mary, his mother, they realized, yes, this is the son of Mary, but he is not simply the son of Mary. He is also the son of God. We see this in verses 3 through 6. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him and assembling all the chief priests and the scribes he inquired of them where the Christ the Messiah was to be born and they told him in Bethlehem of Judea for so it is written by the prophet and they quote from the book of Micah now in verse 6 they quote from Micah but they don't Matthew doesn't give you the whole quote so let me go back to Micah 5 verse 2 and read you the whole thing It says, But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel. And here's the key. Whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. The ruler is going to come, but when you see him in the manger in Bethlehem, you should realize his coming forth is actually from ancient days. This is the ancient of days that we're looking at. This is the one who is from of old. The one who said to the Jews and John before Abraham was, I am. This is not simply Mary's little boy. This is the eternal Son of God, born of the Virgin Mary. The King of the Jews is, in fact, Lord of all creation. And this is why Jesus should receive all our joy today, Christian. Why He should receive all our wonder and our awe. This is why when you get close to Him, and when you actually have an encounter with the risen, living, reigning Jesus on His throne today, when you actually meet this one and you touch Him and you get a glimpse of Him, you cannot stay the same. You cannot remain standing where you were. Being with Him inspires our worship. Getting near Him changes the way the very atmosphere feels around you. All of a sudden, the air in your lungs is fresher. There's a strength that comes into your soul. You feel it in your bones when you get near this one. When you get near a huge burning flame, you can't get close to it and not feel the warmth and feel the heat. And when you get next to the light of the world, He illumines your darkness and He will set you ablaze for Him. Drawing close to His presence should bring us to our knees. Oh, let us look at the example of these magi and let us laud him with all our praises. And let us proclaim this king, who he is, and the joy he brings to us. Let us proclaim it to those around us. Oh, have you seen my king? Son of Mary, son of God. Meet this king. And you'll never be the same. We've seen that these magi were looking for Jesus, number one. Second, they were loving, or they were lauding him. And now finally, the magi were loving Jesus. Looking, lauding, and now loving. Look finally with me at verses 11 and 12. They give this king their treasures. They pay tribute to his majesty as his loyal subjects. They had these treasures with them the whole time. Herod didn't get any of it. They gave no worship to Herod. They weren't even looking for Herod. They were uninterested in Herod. And he's the actual king sitting on a real throne with a scepter and subjects in Jerusalem. And then in the little suburb of Bethlehem, in the stall, is the one they came to worship and to give their treasure to. Because they saw not as men see, not as the world sees. They saw as God sees. And they give this king their treasures. They do not recognize Herod's kingship. They proclaim the kingship of Jesus, and they give their allegiance to that boy, that child in the manger. The magi trade their earthly treasures for the riches of Christ, and not the riches that Christ can give, but the riches of who Christ is, the riches of who he is. Jesus was their treasure. They counted him more valuable, more worthy than all their riches in this world. And oh, shouldn't we be like this, Christian? Should we not be like this? Every year when we get to Advent and I think about Christmas and I look at these magi, this is just, this is my main prayer other than, Lord, come on back. It's, and in the meantime, oh, I want to be like these magi. I want to be looking for you. I want to heap praise upon you. I want to count you as better, sweeter, more valuable, more desirable, more satisfying than anything on my Christmas list, than anything I could hope to receive in this world. Be my treasure. Let me prize you first, most, only. They adore him, they love him. These magi, they want him more than anything else. They risked everything for him by rejecting King Herod and choosing Jesus because he's better and he's greater and he's worth it all. And what a message we have to tell, Christian. What a prize we have to offer to a lost world. This is the best Christmas gift of all the treasure of Jesus. And when you get in his presence and he transforms you more, in, more into his image to look like him, walk like him, feel like him, others will be able to sense him on you when they're in your presence and you can bring this good news. You can mediate his presence, as it were, to those around you and they can see a glimpse of his character and they can feel a taste of his love because we, his people, are filled with his love and we take it to those around us. This is the best gift of all, the treasure of Jesus. Have you, Christian, have you heard of this king? Have you seen my king? Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that you have not withheld your Son from us. The one who delights your heart and soul more than all creation put together, more than infinite worlds with infinite beauty piled high into one, could not outweigh the glory and beauty and worth of our Savior. Our problem is we don't always feel it and we don't always believe it because we get distracted. And I pray you would take our eyes away from the distractions, that you would cut the root of sin that still tries to entangle us. Cut the root. May it dry up. May we find no satisfaction in it. And may we turn unsatisfied from the broken cisterns of this world that hold no water but promise us everything. May we turn away from them unsatisfied to you. And may we drink deep from the fountain of living water. And may we find in you, Lord Jesus, the satisfaction of our eternal longing, the longing of our souls. May we come to you this morning feeling the joy the joy of this good news. I pray that we have seen you today and that we would take what we have seen with us, treasure it in our hearts, and that we would begin to be like these magi, looking for you, praising and worshiping you, treasuring you above all things. And may the world look on and see. And may they ask us, can we see your king?